Seven o'clock meeting start. Seven o'clock. So welcome to Position and Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Anyone here for the first time tonight? Good. One or two, three, four. Oh, a bunch of you. Awesome. Well, first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years now, we just take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? It's been proven to work by the authors of this book, and they wrote down the story of precisely how they recovered as a result of these steps they took, this practical program of action. So tonight, we're going to be looking at step four. So those following along in a book, you want to be on page 63 of your book. We're in a little chapter called How It Works. And we're at the bottom of page 63. So if what, just a little reminder, for those of you that have been here before, who's we when AA says we? The first 100, it's not us sitting here. So remember that as you hear about their testimony. If you don't understand they're talking about their experience and it's not aligning with yours, they've already told you why that might be. Rarely we've seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. But if you think somebody else's opinion is where you're supposed to be, then you may not get the same outcome. And we're, we're not here to tell you what outcome is desirable. We're just telling you if this is your desired outcome, you need to know who we is. Okay, so it says next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. How many of you have endeavored to do a four-step inventory? Percentage of you? How many of you who have done it have, would describe your first attempt as something less than a launching? Huh. So... Apparently, something happened in the order of things or the explanation of things. They encountered power that caused them to launch maybe quicker than we did or maybe the power we encountered, we didn't quite understand what had happened to us. How many of you, when you finally did it, you did relate to launching? Like you delayed it for weeks, months, years, but when you finally did it, it just came scrawling out, right? Okay, so now we understand. We've encountered power, and now I desperately know I need more power. Why would I do this inventory? Because it's, the, the things that are in me are blocking, they're obscuring my consciousness. The pomps, the worships, the calamities are obscuring my consciousness of this power I desperately need to live. So the reason I want to do this is I don't run around powerless long. Okay? So... So many of us had never attempted, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. So how many of you discovered that along the way but never had it explained to you? How many of you had people tell you you had a drug problem? You're, no, I don't really have a drug problem. My, my, my problem is your attitude about my drug use. because I found the human condition was intolerable without some kind of anesthetic. That was just my experience. And so that was my power to live. Very, anyone know what I'm talking about? A little better living through chemistry? So it's interesting they said the, they talk about a permanent effect unless followed by strenuous action. In the forward to the Second edition, I like to show you something they, they found and they noted, and then a lot of times we don't bother to point out to people because we tell them it's about making meetings, and, and it's, just, it's just not about making meetings. And so what these guys learned, um, i got to find it now. What did I do wrong? Well, no, what I wanted to get to was their discovery that... Oh, here it is. I'm on, on XVI and XVII, so Roman numeral 16 and 17. Um, the bottom of that page, 
they talk about Dr. Bob's story, and I'm just going to read what Dr. Bob, he sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. So the peer model, the same thing that our community here is based on, a peer model. And, and then it says, it also indicated that strenuous work, one, with al one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. They promise permanent recovery, but only if we work one with another for a lifetime. That's their experience. And when people say, well, do I have to do it? Of course not, but you'll suffer. Right? I mean, that's just the reality. And you may not achieve permanent recovery because they, they had, by this time they wrote this, they knew they had quite a bit of experience. Okay? That's, by the time they wrote that forward, they had 15 years of history plus the four before the book came. So they know. Okay, so back to what I was doing. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Sorry to read for so long because we get short-circuited, but we have to read the entirety and then break it down so you understand how much instruction's in there for us. So the effort of the inventory is to get down to the truth. You notice they use precise words, the truth. How many of you t told people that you're living in, I'm living in my truth? Yeah. <laughs> you ever notice? That's called delusion. Um, <laughs> there's my truth, and there's your truth, and then there's the truth. So we got to get down to the truth the great reality deep down within us, which they've already laid the path for. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. And then it says, what did I, oh good, I, I did it again. One object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods. So that's only one object. What's the other object if that's one? To get to the truth, to get to the great reality, to walk in power. I've already, I've been spending my life dependent on substances and I, they didn't change my dependency, they changed what I was dependent on if I enact the decision. Does that make sense? That sense of ease and comfort, power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. So all that stuff that people have told you, it's always about your dirty secrets, it's not. It's, it's about learning they're not secrets to the one who sustains you. It's about knowing the truth. It's about getting those things out of the way of your relationship so that you can walk in the calling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So it says, says we did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. So they already, they reviewed right there. They said being convinced. So when did they ask us if we were convinced that self-manifested in various... That was the essence of the third step decision, right? Being convinced that self-manifested in various ways, what had defeated us, right? And so now they're going to break down how they found those common manifestations. You guys get... We, we, they use language we don't always use, and then we repeat it, but we don't really know what it means. Do you, do you understand when they say a self-manifesting? There's me, the real me, and then there's this idea of me, either that you hold or I hold, that will manifest based on fear or based on my desire to get something from you or convince you. Any of you ever had that happen? Yeah. Okay. So I need to look at those things because those manifestations were never me. But I got to own them because they were selfish, inconsiderate habits. Right. Yeah? Okay. So resentment's the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. 
when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So one of the things we've done in Modern Fellowship is told them to get off the stuff and everything will get better. And for some people it does. But eventually, if you're a real addict, if you're a real alcoholic, it's unsustainable. And so we've misled them, right? And if they, we get tied into the spirit right away, the body and mind follow, which is why we have a program of action, not a program of thinking. Right? Do you notice there's no chapter on into thinking? There's, not, there's nothing wrong with thinking, but not until you wake up. Right? Wake up and then think, 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 just like the old timer said. But if you're not awake, all you're going to do is replay your dreams. How many of you figured out that you were just walking around to sleep all your life? Okay. All right. So when the spiritual maladies overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Who's we? Now let's talk about this we. How do we deal with resentments? Tell a friend. Everything except own them, right? You, any of you go places to share your resentments? Bar stools, dope house. They cheated me. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we are angry. So it's an easy list, right? We ask ourselves why we are angry. Another list. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. So how many of you started going through an inventory at some point and you started looking at the relationships and the more bells that any particular relationship rang, the more of those areas that it was affected? Yeah. A job or a, an intimate other can affect everything. Yeah. Okay. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. So I want to identify what's going on with me, what manifestation of self that offended, because it really didn't offend my true self. It, it, it offended an idea of me that I'm trying to hold. Does it make sense? Yeah. It's instrumental into learning. We don't suffer from people's actions nearly as we long, suffer from as long as we suffer from the, our thoughts about those actions. Sometimes we suffer from people's words, and they, we didn't even hear what they said, right? We only heard what we think they said, and that hurt me, okay? All right, so on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations would have been interfered with? So there's a question mark. Don't just check boxes. I know for a while... Hazel and a lot of people had check sheets, and those are helpful, but only if you took the time to see what it looked like in your experience. Every human's selfish. Every human is inconsiderate at times. Every human is dishonest at times. I need to know what it was looking like, what I was thinking, what I was feeling at the time that I was in that manifestation of self. Make sense? Properly armed with the facts about me. All right, so I'm going to jump to the bottom of the page. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Why? Our life, our life depends on it. It's a search for the truth, not my truth, not your truth, but the truth. I'm trying to get properly armed. I'm trying to bear witness. How many of you have determined that your addiction, although you thought it was an affliction, has become a calling rather than a curse? And it's all about how you tell the story, isn't it? Okay. So we want thoroughness and honesty, and the only way anyone that's in delusion can get that is for someone who appears to have recovered to take the time to help them walk through the importance of being thorough. Not to impress me, dude. You can't lie to me without my permission. Do your shit. I'll know if you're lying. You'll suffer from it, not me. Okay. So when we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that the world and its people were often quite wrong. So how many of you have made that little discovery today? <laughs> That's why it's a manner of living rather than a workbook exercise. I like people to get that in their head. All day, every day, as we go along, we fall into slumber. And every time we think something outside of us has caused how we think and feel, we've gone to sleep. 
And no one's talking about perfection, but we're talking about if you want to minimize suffering, instead of cursing them for disturbing you, bless them for awakening you, right? Go into discipline right away. That's what it's about. And this is teaching me those baseline disciplines. So to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. How many of you had that happen? Somebody did something, intentionally or unintentionally, and your whole day was set off on that. Sometimes weeks, sometimes months. How many of you quit jobs because of something like that? (coughs) The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. How many of you have discovered that you were not perfect and that was an untenable realization? Sometimes we get that way with ourselves, don't we? Okay. The more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. You know why? You may not if you haven't had their experience. What I learned from their experience is I was wrestling with illusions. Sounds ridiculous, but I was wrestling with thoughts about what I thought happened, and I had no idea what had happened. Okay. So as in war, the victor only seemed to win. They put that in italics. Have you ever been the victor? And it was sort of a shallow victory. Like, I'm waiting for the marshals to come, but I fooled them. (laughs) Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. If you're not there, if it's not plain to you, it's because you haven't done the work. The one thing we have to explain to people that have never read the book is, number one, you can't read the book until someone shows you how to read the book, because it's written by people who have had the experience. They said in there, they didn't say to tell other people precisely how they recovered. They said to show other people precisely how we recovered. So we have to help them find their experience, just like someone showed us. That's why they left the book, so we could show others, right? So it's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. It's plain in my experience it may not be to you if you haven't had any opportunity to do the inventory. Does that make sense? Because some of us get here, I was one. My resentment was my reason for living. I'm not joking. As long as I could stay mad at you, I had a purpose to live the next day. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And that had to be unwound. And I I encountered some loving people. Sean was one of them. Um, And he ain't that loving now. I don't know what the fuck happened to him. But but help me unwind that stuff. I think he caught my shit. I don't know what it is. Anyway. So, so, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. So do we believe that my hope is the growth and maintenance of a spiritual experience? You may not, but the reality is if you know God is tangible and the manner of living is relevant to your life and you realize that you start getting bumps of the spirit when you reach out your hand or when you sit down and help somebody and you realize that's what I need to be dependent on because I'm going to be dependent on something anyway. So I might as well be dependent on kindness as demonstrated through me Okay. All right. So this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it's fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. So how many of you have had some time in your recovery where you were free of anger? It almost seems impossible in the beginning, doesn't it? But we get, and that's states of being, yes? And, but we start to learn to discipline the thought life. We've got to tell the new people that. I mean, it's okay to be where you are. The power meets you where you are, so we'll meet you where you are. But we've we got to outgrow that because it's going to shut you off. Okay. All right, so the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. So what they're doing is giving us tidbits of how they were seeding their own resentment. Grouch is just exactly what it sounds like. Those are old English words, but grouch is just to walk around complaining. Have you ever noticed as you've grown how annoying your own complaints can sound to you after a while? You just woke up and you knew you were kind of cranky and you just started being bitchy? And somebody finally says, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. 
That's spiritual growth. Because we should be tolerant of others and less tolerant of our self-serving thoughts, right? And you, and you have to have awareness before that happens. Okay. So the grouch and the brainstorm. Brainstorm is that sudden fit of rage or it's the bright idea. You ever get a bright idea, launch out on a course of vigorous action without fully considering the consequences of said action? Okay. So they may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. So dubious means, eh, we'll see. But for an alcoholic to do that stuff is poison. Why? Because it shuts me off from the sunlight of the spirit. I'm dependent on the spirit. And I'm not talking about some philosophy or some theology. I'm talking about power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into me. If I don't have that, I'm going to go find ease and comfort out in the world. We turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. What's the key to the future? The truth is the key to the future. For my more biblical types, you know who the truth is? The truth is the key to the future. Okay. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. How many of you have concluded that? You ever had just a shitty day and there was no particular reason why, but everyone and everything sucked? Wouldn't you call that the world dominating you? But was it not your perspective that day that dominated you? The world didn't dominate you. It can't. But your thoughts can because your world gets small. Okay? All right. So in that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? Question mark. So they want me to go inward. How could I escape? Main problem centers in the mind, right? I'm going to have to figure out what's going on in this loop. We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? Another question. We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So what did they suggest to you was their first response? Before they went... Well, alcohol was until they didn't want to do alcohol and they hadn't been empowered by grace not to drink alcohol, but now they tried to wish their resentments away. How many of you tried to wish your resentments away? I've forgiven them, but I haven't forgotten it. Well, then you haven't forgiven them. Because love keeps no record of wrong. Just, just so you know. Um, humans are terrible at forgiveness. Never buy into the plan that says, I need to forgive me. No, just believe the one he sent. You're forgiven. Act like it. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. So what are their symptoms? Resentment, fear, guilt, shame, remorse. Any of you relate to that? You guys find that in your inventory? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, remorse, shame, all those things. That's their sickness. Why am I so familiar with it? It's mine. That's mine, too. And I don't even know if I'm seeing theirs or mine, because I see through the lens of my thoughts. So I'm starting to learn a very practical application of an old biblical lesson. How do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you can't see the plank in your own eye? Better you should remove the plank from your eye so that you can see to help your brother. The problem, the plank in my eye, is a perspective. It's a judgment. Right? Okay. So we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Did you notice that was a prayer for power, not a prayer to evaporate my friend? <laughs> I need to show them patience and kindness. I don't need them to, I don't need a boundary around them. Right? What I need to do is be forgiving. Right? Be that instrument of forgiveness. So I said, when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I help be helpful to him? So they went inward. Right? And when they ask a question, what do they expect? They said, God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. They expected an outcome because they knew God to be tangible. Right? How many of you have found that things that used to anger you don't anger you anymore? And you think you're broken. Wow, why am I not angry? 
How many of you have had people tell you, you should be angry about that? And I don't wanna. It happens, it will happen to you. It absolutely will. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. That's a promise I would claim. I don't know why that's not on every wall. We can't help everyone, but God will give us a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one, and then I won't suffer from whatever I perceive about them. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the, other, the wrongs the others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? See how we're unwinding it now? The yeah. first inventory, the paper inventory, is getting me ready, armed with the facts about me, so that by 10, I'm doing this on the fly, not stopping down to write it down, disciplining my thinker. But first, I gotta see how self manifests. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Notice how they said tried. How many of you have discovered that it can be very difficult to disregard the other person involved entirely? In fact, it can be impossible for us, can it not? Which is why there's an absolute necessity to encounter a power greater than you operating through you. Because that power will enable you to act kinder than you feel like acting. How many of you have encountered that power and never had explained to you that was really what we're talking about when we talk about the power called God? Kinder than you feel like being. Look, at the cellular level, you are action-reaction. To not react exactly in the moment is not in line with the laws of the world. That means you've been raised above the laws of this world by a power within you. And that power will do more if you'll seek to deepen your relationship. Does that make sense? Okay. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So how many of you had people that harmed you deeply, maybe as a child or even as an adult? And you looked at it and you did not have a part in that. Absolutely true. No one deserves to be treated the way some of us were treated. But the fact that you're dying from it years later means your unforgiveness is killing you. So your part is you're not utilizing that grace you experienced to get through it to help another through it. The healing will come when you... Does it make sense? Okay. So notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve, but did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? So a lot of times people skip looking at the fears that drive them. I suggest that you might want to take a little time to do that because fear is what drives self to manifest. And so you might have annoying habits that you think are uniquely you and they're not you at all. It's still a self-manifesting that you just haven't analyzed the fear that drives it. Does it make sense? Because this, this is trying to get an ideal. It's not only getting a testimony, but it's getting an ideal for who I want God to make me in the future. Right? Okay, so we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them. How many of you have done enough fear work to discover fears you had that didn't have a resentment in connection with them? Yep. Some of you, did you, did you see some weird quirks about you? You thought were weird quirks and found out it was just, where, who's my people that have suffered from depression? That's a fear problem. That's anger without enthusiasm. And I'm not, I'm, not I'm not diminishing the condition, but what I'm telling you is it'll drive a self to just not have an existence, right? How about you, how about you people that have trouble with commitment? Any of you ever discovered you had trouble with committing? So for me, that was a fear that I was going to miss something. 
Same reason I sat in the bar sick as a dog and wouldn't leave till it closed every night, me and the bartender, because if I left, I might miss something. <laughs> we can't commit to relationships. We can't commit to anything because of that. You're right? So it's kind of cool to look at that and learn that about yourself because it will go away. You ask God, it'll go away. Um, we ask ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? How many of you are afraid to start something new? And, and how many of you have analyzed the reason that is? It's because past experiences of it. Okay. So in the past, you were self-reliant, but now you're God-reliant. So nothing is, it's all new. Right? Right? How many of you know that? How many of you have been around long enough now that you know since you've encountered God and you're walking and you're serving, you're not, I mean, you remember who that person was, but it's very vague. I'm telling a story about a dead man. Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. How many of you tried to bluster your way into situations? Great self-confidence. And eventually had to prove you had something more than self-confidence, like knowledge and skill. <laughs> ah, shit. Right? When it made us cocky, it was worse. So we, they're not, I mean, this is... The first 100, they're experienced with the first several thousand, but we've got people that are low self-esteem, people with overblown self-esteem. doesn't matter. The line of self is the same line. right? It's all manifestation of self. So perhaps there's a better way. We think so, for we're now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. When we say God, what do we mean? Power. power. That's why I came to believe in power before I called it God. To a person. Remember the demographics. Half of them were atheists or agnostics. The other half were believers dying in their alcoholism. All of them needed to encounter power. Half of them believed in God. It wasn't enough. Make sense? And the other ones just, they believed in power, but they didn't know it was accessible. Right? They'd been accessing it. So we come to rely upon power. And where do we find the power? deep down inside, and how does it manifest in us? Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. The power to philosophically comfort me, they said. Handy little trick for people to know, rather than going out there to get philosophically comforted. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. How many of you have to be honest now? How many have you looked at that and thought, I got a really shitty assignment. Because <laughs> sometimes the role we play seems not as glorious or whatever, right? right. <laughs> My friend Joe Geppetta just told a story again, but he, when, when he was about 11 years into a life sentence, he got an appeal and he thought he was going to get out. And instead, he got nine more years. He had brought his family from all over the country to come find out that he was getting out and to walk him out. And that's not what happened. He got nine more years. And he describes the peace coming over him, that he was okay, it was going to be okay. And all of this happened in those nine years. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, So... Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So how many of you can recall a time where you match calamity with serenity? Like you were the calmest person in the room, and that's not how most people would describe you, typically. I used to could do that with, you know, heroin and opiates of various sorts. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Match a little calamity with serenity. House is burning, who cares? Let it burn. We we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. That's That's a profound statement for half of them were atheists or agnostics. We never apologize to anyone. Why do I not apologize for depending on my creator? Without him, I'm nothing. Not, not a theory, not bravado, just a simple fact. Um, 
paradoxically, or we can laugh at those who think spirituality is the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. That's a profound teaching, and they don't break it down often enough for us. That should be on a wall, too. You're not a doing, you're a being. God will do through you what he would do if you'll just ask that your fear be removed. So the discipline is, I know when I'm in fear. I may not call it fear, but I'll know when I'm anxious. If I'll just call for comfort, then the state of being I am required to operate in will come to me intuitively, right? You'll hear people say, never pray for patience. Well, no, why? You may not need patience. You may need faith. You may need something else. But if you, in meditation, get be patient, my recommendation is be patient. Because you can be patient or impatient. Either way, you're going to have to fucking wait. So you might, you might just as well take your instruction. But remember, it's not about what should I do, because there's a doer and a being. I'm the being, not the doer. You may not buy that yet, but as you grow in it, you'll see it. All right, so now about sex. Many of us need an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off track. Here, we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base, base necessity of procreation. And then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it, or it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. You guys find yourself on either side of that equation? You find yourself on both sides of that equation? They said we were a little extreme. If you're going pillar to post, that's the very definition of extreme, right? So depending on the nature of our relationships, we may be in either camp. Okay. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare. The other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. The instruction is one sentence. We want to stay out of this controversy. Then the same sentence, another way, we do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. Why? Well, we just admitted we're on both sides of that equation. Therefore, we all have sex problems. Now read the next sentence. We all have sex problems. <laughs> it's important to find our commonality, because rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Right? There's mile markers all throughout that we start acknowledging my human condition and my frailties and your frailties. and We quit condemning one another for them and start supporting each other through them. So we'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? So it's not important what they're doing, what I'm doing. It's important what I can do to be different because what I'm doing is destructive. Right? Whether I'm judging you or whether I'm doing it myself, it's destructive. Okay, so we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So we're back to the same thing that's going to become our 10th step for a lifetime. This is on page 69 of your book. It indeed is your little mini 10th step for a lifetime. So that you, if you ever get stuck in the middle of the day and you've done your inventory, go back to page 69, ask yourself these questions. If you can't sort it out in 10 minutes, call your sponsor. They'll help you pinpoint it. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. Now, they do that for every relationship, including sex. And our problem is really a problem of the mind. My relationship with creation is my relationship with creator. So anytime I'm disturbed in creation, you need to check in with Creator. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. And, and that's what we're, we're now starting to move into it. And the inventory's proving it to me and getting a flow going in me. Does it make sense? Uh -huh. How many of you accessed power as you did your inventory? Like you dreaded it, you dreaded it, you dreaded it. And then all of a sudden, you start scribbling and scribbling and scribbling. And you didn't hardly know what you wrote. 
and then you're a little bit spooky about showing it to somebody, but eventually you were through five and you just felt really unburdened. So it's not theory. Those are, those are tangible sensory experiences of being enlightened in the spirit. So in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. So how many of you want a sane and sound ideal for your future sex life? <laughs> Twelve of you. <laughs> Y'all <are> lying. <laughs> so I don't know why anyone doesn't want to do this because it's not just about sex. That's just one of the things that we struggle with. All our human relationships with people, institutions, principles, trying to get balance in that, this inventory helps us find through our own experience. How many of you woke up one day and realized you were living someone else's life because someone else had told you what you wanted and you'd never really wanted it, but you'd done it to make them happy and now here I am and I don't even know me. This is your opportunity for a reset, man. Whether you're alcoholic or not. We, su we subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We ask God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. I suggest to you, if you have not encountered power, don't take this lightly. When we ask God to mold our ideals, I have an expectation. God's molding my ideals. I'm getting conviction when I ask. If that's not happening for you, let's talk. Let's get you an encounter. Because we're not talking theologies. We're not talking concepts. We're not talking mysticism. I'm talking about tangible power that changes the man I was. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. So I've heard people confused that tell people, oh, this is a must, you must do it. Yes, I know the definition of the word must, but it has multiple definitions. When they told you this program is suggestive only, and they told you it was suggestive because if you're going to find God, the desire must come from within, it's always suggestive. So the reason that's a must is because I wouldn't have written all this bullshit down if I wasn't trying to outgrow it. It's a no-brainer, not a rule. Does that make sense? So we need to help people understand that. There are no secrets in the realm of the spirit, and you don't surprise me with anything. How many of you think you did something that no one else has ever done? If it's got a name, you didn't invent it. Yeah. <laughs> right? we, they ain't that many new things, man. Most of it, this, we could all share some and we'd all know something more about it, right? It's just not that much new shit. Nothing new under the sun, the book says. Okay, we must be willing to make amends where we've done harm, provided we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. So now they're getting clear to you, sex is just one of the manifestations of self, one of the problems that I'm going to look at, but it's all relational. Yeah? Yes. Okay. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. So by now, I'm talking to power, and I'm expecting an answer. And the actual, they'll, they'll tell me later in 10th step, but I'm learning it already now, an intuitive thought or decision. Right? The right answer will come if we want it. So they gave me a clue. How many of you have prayed? Got an answer? We're pretty sure you could improve upon it. <laughs> so they gave you a promise and condition. The right answer will come if we want it. So that could mean two things. You may get an answer you don't like, but you may know it's the right answer, but you're hoping for a different answer. Or you really didn't want anything. Have you ever been told, just pray? It'll be fine, just pray. Yeah. God doesn't care about prayers you don't care about. God dwells in you. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self. Can't do that based on a lie. If I don't care, God doesn't care. Don't believe anyone telling you anything less. It's true. We must worship in spirit and in truth. Right? So the reality is, if I'm asking, the right answer will come. And then if I don't like the answer, as I grow in the spirit, I'll ask for power to carry it out instead of changing the plan. Because the plan wasn't designed for anything other than to change me into what I asked for. So, God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with other persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. So we may talk to a whole committee of people about what we're planning to do, 
but ultimately run it by the Spirit and see where you're supposed to go. How many of you have run it by everybody and everyone told you it's a bad idea? You ran it by the Spirit and the Spirit said, step out in faith. And everyone stood back and go, look at that idiot. <laughs> and then what happened? You're standing in a house for such a decision. I quit jobs. Did all kinds of stuff. Everyone said, you're an idiot. Why don't you go drive Uber? <laughs> Denise is going to work every day going, no, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Here we are. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. So opinions are great, but opinions are opinions. I've paid thousands of dollars for informed medical opinions, lied to get those opinions, and ignored the results of those opinions. So it's nothing to me to ignore an opinion. But when I get convicted in the spirit, that's another thing. Okay? Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. How many of you have that fear still? It stops us from doing things too, doesn't it? Okay. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Well, we've learned in simple things it doesn't necessarily mean that. Does it mean it's going to humiliate me? Does it mean a lot of different things, right? Okay. So some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. So again, it's telling us to go inward. How many of you have determined that no one knows your motives except this creator within? Some people like to think they know their motives. But how many of you had a motive to get sober long before you could manifest any outward action that showed it? But something in you knew and did that for you, yeah? So that's why we're starting to grow into necessity, not a concept, not trying to impress anybody. I need answers because the one who lives here, there, and down the road needs to inform my steps. So if we're sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we'll be forgiven, we'll have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing, these are facts out of our experience. So of the first 100, 50% got sober right away, never drank again, and then another percentage got better after a few bounces. There's the story in there that, about, you know, they, they hung on to some stuff, they didn't take care of some things, they ended up getting lit again, and then they, they came back and eventually enjoined themselves in permanent sobriety. But see, guys, you understand the goal of 12-step recovery is not sobriety? That's a byproduct. What's the goal of 12-step sobriety? To awaken. And then I don't need inebriation in the world with synthetics because I can be inebriated in the spirit. Okay, so... To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, and for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. So you notice how the order, I need, I need the idea, and then I need the confirmation, and then I need the power to carry that out. How many of you have had those kinds of decisions that were hard? I'm not talking about sex, but just about anything. Yeah. And you, you, you needed to break it down, and you needed confirmation every step of the way. That's because you're growing in the spirit. You're realizing the tangible reality that they encountered, yes? So if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. So if you're really obsessed with finding relationships, with most humans are at some stage in their thing, their suggestion is focus on other people's needs and what you can do to meet them and let God prepare you for the one he's got for you. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. So how many of you have gone off and treated someone selfishly for temporary relief and then thought, oh no, now I've done it. I had a buddy of mine from up in Canada tell me one time he, he had been married and divorced like six times and he had family that were in the clergy, and so they were castigating him about him being married so many times, and he looked at him, he says, it's your fault. You filled me with all that guilt. As soon as I had sex with him, I had to marry him, and then I realized what I'd done. 
Some of y'all relate, huh? Some of them are two or three at a time, right? Uh, anyway. If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. How many of you had that discovery? Yeah. Got thorough and how many of you did it more than once? How many of you couldn't write it? I had I had delirium trimming so bad for weeks after I couldn't write. And I, I had a guy that was kind enough to know that. He wrote it for me. Um, we have listed and analyzed our resentments. We've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. See how they're talking about beginnings now? I'm just beginning. So my eyes are open, but not really, right? I'm seeing, but I'm not really seeing. Have you guys ever sort of got glimpses of what the world really was? But, but then it started looking like the world again? We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look upon them as sick people. So we're starting in this process. Well, the reason they're talking about beginnings is this is preparing me to go out and bear witness. Who am I going to bear witness to? Anyone I, that asks, right? And so I'm going to find people who need this healer, and in offering that patience, kindness, and what have you to them, the healing I need flows through me as an, you know, as an instrument of that. And that's why it's vital to my own recovery. So we have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So can you see that now? Have you guys that have done an inventory, did you get a new earnestness to straighten out the past even though the amends list was a bit scary looking? Yeah. Right? Okay. In this book you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Notice how they didn't say works. That's why they keep talking about faith without works is dead. Faith in the power within me is what drives me to do the works of delivering the message, to look, to do the self-searching, the leveling of pride, the confession of shortcomings that the process requires in order to reveal to me the solution within me. Does it make sense? We hope you're convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. Are you convinced? Yep. Because if you're not, then five and six are going to be daunting, right? Seven, eight, nine, right? So we want to, this is that, that point when we're looking at the paper and seeing what's up. If you've already made a decision in an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you've made a good beginning. Then... That being so, you've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And then you'll move forward in the step process. And as you witness to the truth about you, you'll find that your life radically changes as a result of that testimony. And that there's massive power in testimony. You'll see people weeping as you speak to them not because of what you said, but because of the power that emanated because of the testimony. Make sense? Yeah. So we're done a little early. That's pretty cool. We'll see you next week. Boom.